Amen. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. I'm going to continue to say that as long as possible. I don't know what Christmas traditions look like in your home, uh, but in our home, we are full in to the Christmas spirit. Uh, the house is decorated, which if you've been to our home, you would know it has been decorated since before Thanksgiving. Do not judge. Um, we, have outside, we have decorated the outside of the house as well, along with our neighbors. Uh, so it's just kind of a fun time being in our neighborhood, looking at Christmas lights together, um, and then enjoying just Christmas traditions. Uh, I, for one, am a big fan of Christmas because it is the one time that I can justify the amount of baked goods that are baked in our home and the opportunity to then enjoy said baked goods. And so it is a, a glorious time. But more importantly than that, I'm thankful for the Christmas season because of the reminder it is to us and the fact that it is the Advent season where we declare that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again. So we are walking through a series together. We're going to be back in the Gospel of Mark. And as I said last week, I hope and pray that uh, this series through Advent, as we walk through the Gospels together, I hope that this is a season of good news and encouragement for those of us who are believers as we wait with expectation for the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as we studied last week, we studied the word hope and how we saw the need for an awakening of hope. And so this week, we're going to take the next step in talking about uh, the grace incarnate, grace made flesh. And what we will see this week is not only our need for an awakening of hope, but this week we will see the message of peace that has been given to us. Now, when you think about peace, I want to ask you, what comes to mind for you uh, when you think about the word peace? Now, for me, I personally think about how we end our services together here at the church and how we pass the peace uh, together. This is where at the end of the service, if you've noticed, we have this phrase that we say, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And the people respond by saying, okay, we're going to work on that later. That was a little sleepy. We'll try it again. But anyway, this passing or the passing of the peace is actually deeply rooted in Scripture. We actually see this happening in Scripture. And at the same time, this has become one of the forgotten practices of many churches today. And yet here's the reality. The passing of the peace is really meant to be a moment of encouragement for the believers. It's why we say it at the end of our services. It's a reminder of the solidarity that we share among believers. It's where we now get to state our desire for one another as we leave worship and move about our daily lives. And so as we close our services, that particular part of service reminds us now of the unity that we share as believers in Christ and as a church because of what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. And yet here's what happens. We now currently live in a day and a time where, due to the daily stress and pressures of life, due to the amount of conflicts that are happening, peace is nowhere to be found. I even wonder if we even want peace for one another. I, don't, I would often wonder to myself, what would it be like to be at a store and say to someone, may the peace of Christ be with you? I wonder what their response would be. Um, it might be just a go pound sand. I don't know. But either way, it is hard to see peace in a season where we should be celebrating peace. Don't believe me? Then let me encourage you to do something this week. Try Christmas shopping. Meet some of the people that you encounter in the stores. See how people now in this season that is supposed to be peaceful are now more and more stressed than they are at peace. 
So here's what I want us to do this morning. In light of the fact that we are talking about peace, I want us to look at our text and see this, that as believers in Christ, not only do we need an awakening of hope, but we also now need the message of peace. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are now the carriers of that message of peace. So let's go ahead and jump into our text and see why we can have peace and ultimately pass peace to one another because of the peace that had been given to us by the grace of God for the glory of God through his word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now. I'm in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1 is where we find ourselves this morning, and we are going to begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found yourself uh, in your place in the word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word. Now this is Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark writes, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached to them, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. You You can be seated. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to read through the Gospel of Mark. And if you've not had an opportunity to read through the Gospel, then let me encourage you, you probably should. You see, Mark was actually written to Gentiles, especially to Romans, directly teaching them that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah. Mark teaches that Jesus was truly the suffering servant who gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, when compared to the other Gospels, the Gospel of Mark is actually the shortest of the four and comes across as direct, fast, and hard-hitting. Upon reading the Gospel of Mark, and you probably already noticed this already, but you'll notice that there is no genealogy of Jesus. There is no miraculous birth narrative with Bethlehem or shepherds. You continue to read in the Gospel of Mark, and you'll notice that there is no childhood at Nazareth. There is no sermon on the mount, and there are actually very few parables as you read this Gospel. But what Mark does give to you, is Mark provides a rapid-fire succession of events from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ that ultimately proves to the Roman audience that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God who suffered, died, and rose again. And like the other Gospels, Mark's story ends with a resurrection, followed by an ascension, and then ultimately a call to gospel proclamation until he returns. Now, with all that takes place in this particular gospel, what I want us to do is I want us to to come back to the, the very beginning of the story to see the message of peace that is now coming for all, the same message of peace that Mark declares 
to his Roman audience. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to answer the following question. What is the message of peace? And I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer up front. The message of peace is the gospel as foretold by the prophets, preached through humble men about the coming power of God through Christ. I'm going to say it again. The message of peace is the gospel as foretold by the prophets, preached through humble men about the coming power of God through Christ. So let's jump back into our text here in Mark chapter 1 and see how Mark breaks this answer down for the Romans, but also for us today. Mark begins in verse 1 and he says, the message of peace is the gospel. Notice how Mark begins with very little fanfare about the arrival of Jesus Christ. In fact, Mark actually gets right to the point of his message. Verse 1, he says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Literally, Mark opens by saying, This is the beginning of the good news. This is the beginning of the good news, the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now, again, Mark is not saying that good news started here because we know, and Mark knows, that the gospel has actually been around and preached since the day of the Old Testament prophets. He's going to get into that in just a moment. However, what Mark does in this moment is he actually points his readers to the fact that the beginning of the good news always starts with Jesus. In fact, our reality today is this, is that there is now no good news apart from Jesus Christ. And that is the main point that Mark is trying to convey. You see, for Mark, the beginning of the gospel points first and foremost to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the author and substance of our faith. Because Jesus is the great preacher of the gospel. Because Jesus is the Savior and Redeemer for the lost. Because Jesus is the Messiah that was to come and has come. Because Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And because Jesus is the prophet that declared the will of God. So anything beyond Jesus Christ is just not the gospel. So if we're going to talk about good news then let's start talking about the gospel. Mark says, if we're going to talk about the good news, then we need to talk about the gospel, then we need to realize that this gospel story must begin with Jesus. Now, as we continue in the text, I want us to notice that Mark refers to Jesus as the Son of God. Now, when compared to the other gospels, especially compared to Matthew, we see that Matthew calls Jesus and, and pointed to Jesus as the Son of Man, thus pointing to the humanity of Christ. But rather, in Mark's gospel, his focus was on the divinity of Jesus Christ. In other words, Mark wanted his readers to understand and to know that Jesus is equal to his Father. He has the same nature. He shares in the same perfections and he enjoys the same glory. And so Mark immediately wants the readers to understand that Jesus is divine. He is truly the Son of God. He is deity. There is no question or argument to be made against that. And as Mark will continue, Jesus 
is grace incarnate. Grace made flesh. In other words, from the first verse, Mark tells his audience and teaches us today that Jesus is not just an ordinary man claiming to be a prophet. He truly is the Son of God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, when it comes to sharing the message of peace, I want us to understand the same thing that Mark was trying to communicate here in verse 1. When it comes to sharing this message, we must begin with Jesus. Our story of how we come to faith is a powerful story. Our testimony is a powerful message. But the reality is this. Our testimony does not save people. It's Jesus who does the saving. In fact, if you think about your own testimony, you don't have a testimony that's not rooted in the fact that it started with Jesus Christ. So when it comes to sharing with the world around us, Let's not just give them our story. Let's give them Jesus for nothing nor no one else will ever save. Now, as we come back to this text, we see that for Mark, the message of peace begins with the gospel. But notice what else he says about this statement, verses 2 and 3. He says, yes, it does begin with the gospel. The message of peace is the gospel. But then he says, as foretold by the prophets. Look with me at verse 2. It says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now let's pause there for a moment. Now Isaiah gets credit here, but I want us to realize that what we're about to read next is not only just Isaiah's prophecy, but it's a, it's a prophecy uh, that's coming from Malachi as well. Now, many people have argued that Mark actually got this wrong. However, I want us to notice the word prophet here because the word prophet could also mean Isaiah and the prophets or Isaiah in the prophets. Either way, what Mark does is he takes two prophetic words and puts them together as one. And what Mark wants us to focus on is the prophetic message that we are now given. Look with me in the rest of verse 2 and in the verse 3. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now again, I want us to notice by using the word behold here, Mark reveals that this moment uh, signifies something momentous is about to be said. In other words, this word that has come from the prophets is about to be a game changer. What is about to take place is going to change all things for all eternity. And then what happens next is we get prophecies from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 and again in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Now clearly the prophecies that we have is about the one coming before the Lord. So we can go ahead and, and, and really deduce the fact that, that this word is about John the Baptist. We know this because we know that John would come with the greatest message that needed to be heard. And in fact, Mark tells us as much as we continue to read. But before we get there, I want us to notice how John the Baptist is now called my messenger. Meaning this, that John the Baptist has been set apart. John the Baptist has been qualified 
And John the Baptist has been sent to share of the coming arrival of Jesus Christ. Now, to put this word and phrase into context, this would have been a big deal uh, for the Gentiles, especially for the Romans to hear uh, during their day. Because you see, in their day, it was common for a messenger to be sent ahead to announce the arrival of someone important, whether it was Caesar who was coming through or whether it was a distant king. Either way, this messenger came to proclaim the coming of someone great so that the people would have the time to prepare and to clear the path for the spectacle or the person that was coming. And this is exactly what John the Baptist did. He announced the coming of the Messiah. He announced the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He announced the coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, the prophets spoke of the one who would come that would announce the one who would bring peace with him. Now think about that, brothers and sisters. Because as those here today called by God set apart by Christ, qualified, do we see today that like John the Baptist, we too are now called by God to be messengers of peace. Do we see today that being messengers of peace was a part of God's plan A from the beginning? And now by God's grace through the command of the Great Commission, we as believers today are now called to share the message of peace, not, not just a, a message of salvation, if you will, but, but salvation and the announcement of the coming King of Kings. So notice the call for the believer today. We are called to declare that salvation belongs to the Lord. But at the same time, we are called to announce that the King of Kings is coming. I mean, really, this should be a moment of encouragement for us today. Maybe a moment of conviction, I don't know. But it really should be a moment of encouragement. Because you see, God's plan, even from the Old Testament, was for the announcement of the arrival of Jesus Christ. And now, by God's grace, according to his command, we now share in the call of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thus, we are now a part of God's original plan for the world. I mean, think about that for a moment. We are now messengers of the coming king. But pay attention, because when John the Baptist declared this message, his message was of, of the king of kings coming off of his throne, taking on humanity, coming as a humble baby. But the message that we proclaim today is that Jesus is coming. But he's not coming in humility. He's not coming as a humble baby, as we talked about last week. Last week we said he's coming as the king of kings. He's coming as the Lord of lords. And by God's grace, as his people, he has enabled us, qualified us, set us apart to be able to announce the good news of salvation that belongs to God through Christ, but at the same time to declare that Jesus Christ is coming again. 
Brothers and sisters, we should be encouraged by this. Because we see that the message of peace is now within us. Because the message of peace is the gospel itself, as foretold by the prophets. But let's continue on and and see what it is that Mark continues to teach us. He not only says that the message of peace is the gospel as foretold by the prophets, but we look at verses 4 through 6 and we see that this is a message that is now preached by humble men. Now, as we get into this part of our passage, I want us to pay attention to two items. First of all, I want us to notice that the prophecy from the Old Testament was fulfilled in the coming of John the Baptist. And then the second thing I want you to pay attention to in these verses is exactly how John is described. So look with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, John appeared. I love that. Notice there is no fanfare. Notice there is no, all of a sudden, here's a story about this wonderful family, and they have a baby leaping in the womb, and then boom, there's John. I mean, just think about that and put that in modern day. The only thing I could come up with is if all of a sudden we, we stepped back a, a few months in time and I found myself at the hospital with, with Forrest and Stephanie and then all of a sudden Joshua was born and then my wife wasn't able to go with me and so I come home and she says to me, tell me the good news. Tell me about the Browns and, and this sweet new baby. And I looked at my wife with all the love in my eyes and in my heart and I simply said to her, Joshua appeared. Do you think she's going to be happy with just that? No. She wants details. She wants measurements. She wants weight. She wants size. I still don't know why that matters. Like, it's not like all of a sudden we're sizing them up going, that's going to be a football player one day. I don't get it. I don't get it. And if you do get it, let me live in my ignorance. Okay? It's a sweet and beautiful thing when people share that information. I know it, and I awe and celebrate it with you. But I'm kind of with Mark here. John appeared. No fanfare. No waving around. But let's continue. He says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Notice that what Mark does give us is he gives us this messenger that has now appeared in the wilderness. The same one that Malachi and Isaiah has prophesied about. All of a sudden, he shows up. So Mark gives us a name, a location, and an action. We see the location when we see the word wilderness. Now that word is important because many people have translated that word wilderness to to think it means some far off distant place. But the reality is that's not true of that word at all. We're not talking about some distant forest. You see, there were cities around this place. There were towns, there were, there were villages. We see more about this when we get into to verse 5 in a moment. But either way, what we know is this place was, was close enough that, that people could get to it. It was accessible to the people. So I think what's more important here is to understand the theological context of the word wilderness. You see, when you go back to the Old Testament and you see the word wilderness, we see that it was the wilderness that was the place where God would meet with his people. And so Mark, again, is being intentional in this moment in referencing the wilderness. He's talking about a moment where God is meeting with his people through the ministry and the work of John the Baptist. So again, context is key. 
We see the location. We now know the name. But now let's look at the action. Notice that John came preaching a message of repentance. And then John performed baptism based upon that repentance. And not just any baptism, but one of immersion upon profession of faith in the kingdom that was at hand. Now again, we need to be careful here. Because John's not teaching that baptism would save you. John is also not teaching us that that this is a message where we can now look back to our baptism to see our salvation. That is not at all what he is teaching. John's also not preaching that he himself could and would forgive sins. But rather the message that John gives us is that of repenting of sin, believing in Christ who was to come, which leads to baptism by immersion. Now looking at the text, I want us to see the response of the people. Verse 5 says, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. In other words, Mark tells us that great crowds from Jerusalem and throughout Judea, throughout the region, they were coming to hear the message of peace. They were coming to hear the message of the gospel. Now we need to pay attention to this because I want us to understand what was going on, especially for the Jews as they were hearing this message from John. They had come to hear a new preacher who was teaching them of a new doctrine and calling them to partake in a new ordinance that led to forgiveness and peace. And it was found in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the people came. They responded face to face with their sins, seeing their need for forgiveness, seeing their need for repentance, confessing their sins, placing faith in the Messiah to come, and then they were baptized. Notice that this is what the gospel will do in the life of an individual. And not once, Not once, notice in Mark, not once does John mention himself in this story. No, when he speaks, he spends his time focused on the gospel, focused on Jesus Christ, focused on repentance, focused on the forgiveness of sin. Not once was credit being given to him as he wanted the people to focus on the new message of peace. A message that John's going to get into later as we uh, look at verses uh, 7 and 8 together. But before we do, I want us to notice the description of John now in verse 6. Notice it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now many people read this passage and they focus on the fact that John's description matches that of Elijah when you go back and read 2 Kings chapter 1. Now we know Elijah's story is the fact that Elijah didn't die. He was just taken. And we were told that one day Elijah would return. In fact, this becomes a part of the story much later in the gospel. As people, even people around them in the gospel begin to debate, is John Elijah? Who is he? But what I don't want us to miss is the description that Mark gives us of John. Notice how John is not dressed like a Pharisee. 
Notice that John is not dressed like a a high priest in his day or in the days of Christ or even in Mark's context. In other words, John came and he was not adorned with fine linen. He was not adorned with jewels. He was not adorned with gold like these high priests. But rather, John was dressed like a man lacking comfort, a man lacking adornment, a man wearing that which was common for a traveler passing through the desert with a message. This is how scholars have described John. Did you hear what they just described? A traveler passing through in the desert with a message. Again, I'm not a big fan of playing comparisons, but doesn't that sound like the call of a Christian? Aren't we just passing through this earth? We know this place is not our home, right? Like We, we belong to another kingdom, a far kingdom. Several songs about that. We should probably sing it. We're passing through. And where are we passing through? Some call it the wilderness. Some call it the desert. Why do they call it that? Because we're passing through amongst the people who are dry. We're passing amongst a people who are dead and they don't even know it. They're parched. And yet we are passing through with a message. A message of hope and a message of peace. So when we look at John's life and we see that that John was just a humble man who wanted to make much of Jesus, can we say that of ourselves? We are simply humble people who desire to make much of the name of Jesus. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. If we're trying to make a name for ourselves in Christianity, then we're missing the boat. If we care too much about our reputation and how people see us because we're simply a Christian and we don't want to ruin that, then we may be missing the call. No, we see in John that what mattered was the message, not the man. Notice we're going to continue in the text and we get a description of what he ate, which I've got to ask you, how many of you guys are going home today and for lunch you're having locusts and wild honey? I don't think that's on anybody's meal plan today. And if it is, um, love to talk to you. Shame on you. Better things to eat. No, the meal that we see John eating is actually a meal that was common amongst Ethiopians. In fact, it was common amongst the Judeans. Thus, what John was eating was actually okay for religious leaders to eat. But notice this about the meal. The meal was still a humble meal meant for nourishment for long journeys and even longer days. Notice about John. He he not only wasn't dressed as a fancy high priest, but notice this. He wasn't having a fancy banquet either. There was no banquet food for him. There was no fattened calf in honor of John. What John partook in is that which would sustain him. It's almost as if John understood words that hadn't even been spoken yet by Jesus. When Jesus himself declares in John chapter 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Again, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when when tempted, Jesus answers this way, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, for John, food might have sustained him Physically, but what mattered more than that was giving the people the bread of life, 
which is found in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, man, do we see that as a church today, we don't need flashy stuff to make much of Christ. We just need the gospel. We don't need the next big thing. We don't need to look around at other churches. And a lot of other churches are doing a lot of wonderful things in this area. And there are some of them that are doing some things that I think are just profoundly amazing. Things that I would never do. But they should. To God be the glory. But we don't have to look at these other churches, our sister churches, and think to ourselves, man, all of a sudden we need to match or affirm what it is they're doing. And let me take that a step further. As Christians today, we're not called to match and affirm what it is the culture has called us to either. Because again, we're not here to make a name for ourselves. You see, all that we have, all that we need, is found in Christ. We have what we need in the gospel. We have what we need as we gather for worship in the word of God. All that is needed to proclaim the second coming of our Lord is the gospel itself. So if I can encourage you with the truth as you think about how you yourself can share the gospel, let me say this to you. You do not have to be or become the next John Piper or John Calvin in order to share the good news of Jesus. Learn from those men, study those men, enjoy those men. But you don't have to be that. In fact, you're not called to that. I'm not called to that. Rather, grow in who Christ has made you to be. Like John, remain humble, recognizing that what sustains you is the very Word of God. What sustains you is Jesus Christ. And then watch how God will use ordinary people to do extraordinary works. And now let me clarify that statement. Before you walk out of here, know you are not extraordinary. I'm not either. We're just ordinary people. What is extraordinary is the work of God. What is extraordinary is the gospel itself. What is extraordinary is Jesus Christ. I'm just ordinary man. And as we continue in the text, I want us to notice that we now come to the final part of our statement where we're going to now answer the question, what is the message of peace? And so far we have seen that the message of peace is the gospel as foretold by the prophets, preached by humble men, and now in verse 7 and 8, we see that it's about the power of God through Christ. Again, it's in these passages that we now see the message that John the Baptist is preaching. Verse 7, it says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And just think about that for a moment. John in this moment may have been preaching a message of repentance, but he knew there was a greater one coming. He understood what was coming. He, he understood the, the excellency and the glory that was coming in Jesus Christ. In fact, John recognizes it so much, he says, look, I'm not even worthy to tie the man's sandals. Again, in this moment, John is showing great reverence for Christ. 
John is aware in this own, of his own unworthiness, knowing that the king was coming. Even as the messenger, John exclaims that, that he is far from being worthy of the high honor to even be able to proclaim the message. Because he recognizes that the great honor and the praise that are due only to the one who is coming. Notice what John does. In his own humility, he acknowledges the power of God that is coming in Christ. And he's going to continue to point this out. Keep reading verse 8. He says, I've baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Notice how John the Baptist speaks directly now to those whom he has already baptized. He says, listen, what we have done today is good, but it pales in comparison to the one who is coming in power. You see, in this moment, John now takes their dependence and praise off of him, and he now resets their focus on Christ who is to come. And by mentioning the Holy Spirit, John now acknowledges the new covenant that is coming, and it is coming with the full power of God on display. In other words, John just says, listen, what we just did here today is good, but this is just water. What really matters is how Jesus Christ is coming, and it's going to change your heart and the trajectory of your life forever. And oh, by the way, guess what does that? It's the power of God that does it. You see, this would have been earth-shattering news for the Jews to hear in this moment. Jews and Gentiles, especially the Jews who were resting under an old covenant with God, they were now all of a sudden hearing a new covenant that was coming. In fact, it was there. And that new covenant was going to bring them forgiveness for their sins. I mean, I literally imagine this moment when John says these words, these Jews just kind of looked around at each other and they were like, how can this be? But yet that's exactly what they're going to get in Christ. You see, in Christ, they are given a new covenant. A new covenant that unites the people together with God because of the broken body and blood of Christ. And as if the atonement wasn't enough, Jesus says, I'm going to double down, take this one step further, and I'm going to defeat death because I'm coming back. And so we have a story of resurrection. And if that wasn't enough, we see that Jesus spends the next 40 days talking and eating with his people. And then if that weren't enough, we see the story of an ascension Jesus doing what no other person had done until that point. Returning to his kingdom. And then what does he say to us? And behold, I am coming back soon. You see, in Christ, we now have a new covenant that brings peace. It brings peace as man's relationship is now restored through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And praise be to God for that. And so I want to ask you this morning in this, this season, do we understand the peace that we have now been given? Do we understand the peace that, that we should have and maybe we're struggling to express? 
You see, in Christ, we have now been reunited with God. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. It was all the power of God at work in our lives. It was given to us by the grace of God through Christ. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are now called to live in this peace and share the message of peace that we have now been given. So how are we making much of God? The same God who has granted and given us peace. Are we, are we trying too hard to do things on our own? Or do we recognize that it is the power of Jesus Christ that has brought us together? And it will be the power of Christ that enables us to share this message of peace with a world that desperately needs it. Are we busy about the business of making Jesus known? Or are we busy going through life never once mentioning the hope that we now have in Christ or the peace that comes with it. You see, as God's people, as those who have been set apart for His glory by Christ alone, may we be a people who pass the peace as encouragement to other believers and as a message of good news to those who may not know. Man, what a joy it is to know Jesus. I mean, it, I say this lightly. Our world could be shattered in a moment, but we still have joy in Jesus. There's a kid coming through that door. I don't know whose kid it is, but this is going to be a lot of fun. That's why I locked the door. Should we see who it is? Oh, who's going to be embarrassed? Everybody don't look out that window. Don't y'all do that. Don't do it. Y'all did it. Why did y'all do that? <laughs> That's almost as good as a cell phone going off. <laughs> like John, we are called to be messengers of the good news. We're called to be messengers of peace. So I want to remind you of the question. It's coming off the distraction. Here's the question. What is the message of peace? Again, I say to you, the message of peace is the gospel as foretold by the prophets, preached by humble men about the power of God through Christ. So as we continue in this Advent season, being reminded that God has come in flesh as Christ, as grace incarnate, we now have the message of peace. And I want to leave you with one final quote from Charles Spurgeon. And speaking of peace in this text, he says it this way, the peace within the soul is not derived from the contemplation of our own faith, but it comes to us from him who is our peace. Praise God that he has given us peace. Praise God that he has given us the message of peace because we can praise God and God alone that he is our peace. And so I want to close again with passing the peace. May the peace of Christ be with you. Also with you. To God be the glory for that peace. Let's pray together.